Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of Dr. David Rogers, lead pastor of Arapahoe Road. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoeroad.org. And now, here's Pastor David Rogers. My pop had this way about him. Make me so angry. So I'd come to him with an idea. Could be big or small. Usually it was something I thought would spruce things up around here a bit. And every time, every single time, as if he were reminding me of something, he'd pat me on the back and say, thank you, boy. Then he'd go on about his business. It's just his way. You know, a lot of people didn't know it, but um, Bob couldn't read. Now, he'd have me do his reading for him. I remember that day that he came in. He, he, he came to me with a, a notice that had been uh, tacked to the front door of the inn, saying that the government was calling for a census. Well, I didn't have to read that all the way through to know what that meant. Yeah, it meant that people from all over were about to arrive in droves, and they were gonna need a place to stay. I said, Pop, we gotta get busy. We got work to do. We need to expand our footprint. This little inn of ours is only gonna hold a handful of people. I even drew up plans, pushing for profits in every corner that I could. I was ready. Yeah, I knew it. It was time for me to take over the family business, become the innkeeper. I was 14. <laughs> Pop patted me on the back and said, thanks, boy, <laughs> and went on about his business. It wasn't long before Bethlehem was busting at the seams. Oh, gosh, we'd never seen so many people. And where was I? Yeah, I was washing linens and sweeping and cleaning out the stables. Picture this, I'm standing there in the stall. The door opens, I turn and see them standing right there. This, this poor man and his wife, and she was great with child. Yeah, yeah, she's pregnant, and Pop told them that they could stay in the barn. <laughs> he lost his mind. There the three of us were. Me, this panicked husband, and this woman in pain, and I knew what that pain meant. It meant that baby was coming, and it was coming now. So what did I do? I was 14. I didn't know what to do. And then, <laughs> in walks Pop. He's got blankets and water, and he's handling it. He was doing what he always did, <laughs> saving me. And that night, he saved them too. But you could never convince Pop that he was a hero that night. No, I can still hear him. He'd say, boy, 
All I did was make room that night. The hero that night was God coming down to save us all. What a great perspective to think about. And while the Bible does not uh, record an actual innkeeper's son, per se, uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, does speak of the scene that was just referenced in that little video. And it was the night that the hero named Jesus showed up as God in the flesh. It, it was the very first time that anybody on earth witnessed his majesty in this kind of a way. Would you take your Bible, would you turn it on, open it up to Luke chapter 2. Let's read this part of the Christmas story together. Luke chapter 2, we'll just read the first seven verses <clears throat> together. We'll begin in verse 1, which says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Man, these right here, these were the first moments that, that anybody on earth witnessed his majesty when the unique arrival took place. And, and as much of the Christmas story as we tell and enjoy reading, there's just not a whole lot of details uh, that, that we see in the Bible, just enough, but not a, not a whole lot of detail. And while we know the, the big picture of what unfolded regarding Jesus uh, being born in Bethlehem and wrapped in those swaddling cloths and being laid in a manger because there just wasn't any room in the end, we've got to take a step back, do we not, and, and begin to use our imagination to consider, man, what else went on? I mean, other, other parts of life went on. Other people were crossing their paths, even though they may not necessarily be specifically mentioned in the Bible. Real people, real lives, real challenges, real back pain, real birth pains, all of that stuff was really going on. And so when you just take a step back and you allow yourself to just consider what may have been unfolding the odds are pretty high that Joseph and Mary 
interfaced with someone who eventually guided them to this stable-turned-labor-and-delivery room. And it's not out of the realm of possibility that someone could have helped that holy couple to make their night a little bit more comfortable, even though their name doesn't get footnoted in Scripture. Now, whether an actual innkeeper showed up on time and provided uh, in the way that the innkeeper's son was reflecting in the little video, think about this. God has a way. God has a way of putting people in our paths at just the right time to help us in just the right way. Maybe that's speaking a, a timely word of kindness or encouragement or perspective that we needed. And they're being demonstrated in those moments. Acts of kindness and encouragement and help that are born out of that person's faith. Think about this. When our faith is both demonstrated and proclaimed, something powerful takes place. Let me say that again. When our faith is both demonstrated and proclaimed, something powerful takes place. See, such, such combinations of deeds and words, they can be used as keys to unlock the doors of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Let me tell you what I mean. Several decades after Jesus was born in the manger, one of Jesus' siblings, Jesus had brothers and sisters. Do you, do you know that? Do you think about that? I mean, we, we kind of read that, but then we don't think about it. It's just like this, you know, this only child in a manger. Well, along the way, the family got bigger, had brothers, had sisters. Think about this. Several decades later, after Jesus was born in a manger, one of Jesus' siblings named James, he went on to write a letter. We've studied it together in years gone by called the book of James or the letter of James. And, and James writes this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage Christians about demonstrating their faith and proclaiming their faith in ways that are pleasing to God and in ways that bless other people. Would you turn to the back of your Bible, to the book of James? I want us to look at one passage in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26 this morning, talking about our, our, our demonstration of our faith and a proclamation of our faith. And when those things come together, man, something big can happen. James chapter 2. Such a powerful, powerful, powerful word from Jesus' little brother. <laughs> James chapter 2, we'll start reading in verse 14. Look what James writes. He says, what good is it, my brothers or my sisters, my friends, my followers of Jesus with me? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works, doesn't have anything to show for it? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, oh, go in peace, be warm and filled, 
without giving them the things needed for the body? What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. It's like saying Merry Christmas to somebody but not really meaning it. (laughs) And you know they're in need. Verse 18, but someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Friends, what, what, what James is saying here, what he's writing here, in this part of his letter, it speaks to the kinds of actions that we just heard about from the innkeeper's son, does it not? You know, what, 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 all, what all was he saying? <laughs> he was talking about what his dad did on the night that Jesus was born, hypothetically. Creative license here. He's remembering all of the actions that got put into place that night when he supposedly helped the holy couple. Think about it. From that innkeeper's perspective that we, or the innkeeper's son's perspective that we, that we witnessed. His father did what he could to help Mary and Joseph and, and baby Jesus. And at the time in the little story, that innkeeper's son was 14 years old and it connected and it made an imprint. So what does that mean? It means this. We never know how small acts of kindness that stem from our faith can impact others and bless God in the process. Let me say it again. We never know how small acts of kindness that stem from our faith can impact others and bless God in the process. So this part of James's letter that we were reading from, It's a good reminder of what it means to be people who love God and who are living our lives as a living witness to his majesty. People that aren't just talking the talk, but we're walking the walk. James, he wrote this letter 
He wrote this letter many years after Jesus, big brother Jesus, had grown up. He had already gone to the cross by this time. He had risen from the the grave, from the dead. He had appeared to many people. He had ascended back to the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit was sent on those who are followers of, of Jesus. So this is, he's writing this letter many, many years after Jesus had come and gone back to heaven, to the right hand of the Father. I mean, think about it. Jesus' little brother, James, he eventually would grow up to be the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. James, he, he dearly, dearly loved these people that he had the privilege of pastoring and leading in the faith. And in time, because of the persecution that would come on the church, His church would be scattered all over the land, all over the place, rising persecutions that were happening to the Christians in that day and time. And so James writes to them to encourage his friends in the faith, his followers in the faith, to instruct them in their faith concerning how to live out their faith in difficult days. Man, that kind of sounds like a a, a word for us today, does it not? (laughs) We could use some help living out our faith in difficult days where it's not always popular to be a follower of Jesus who's actually living out what the Bible teaches, the Word of God. Now, biblical scholars note that, that we have here in this passage from James that we just read, that the very heart, the very heart of his concern for what was unfolding in and around the church at that time in history. James was deeply, deeply troubled by an attitude that was pervasive in the church at that time. It's an attitude towards faith that he sees mainly as just being a verbal profession. That that's all you need. You just need to say the word and you're good to go. Just tell us about what you believe. Void of any life actions backing it up. You know, where, where, does, it, where does it say that? Look back in verse 19 with me. Look what it says here. James is writing and he's, He's quoting, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. What's James referring to here? James is is referencing one of the most important scriptures in a Jewish person's heart, in their life. It's found back in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, if you were with us. It's a passage of scripture that every Jewish person would have committed to memory. Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 and 5, the beginning of what's known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And so James here is referencing that. He is commending his Jewish Christian readers for believing that there is one God. He's saying, man, that's good. You're on the right track. You're doing well on that front, on what you believe there. That's a good thing. Way to go. You get a gold star. Think about it. If the innkeeper, 
If the innkeeper was like any other regular, normal Jewish man, this is what he would have believed. This is what he would have said. This is what his family would have recited every day as they started their day and walked out into life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema. And although that, that belief was a basic truth, of Jewish orthodoxy, such acceptance and reciting of a creed, that is not enough to save a person from his or her sins. Because every Jew says every day, the Lord is one. Every Jew, every day says the Lord is one. In other words, every Jew is telling that part of his or her faith. But true faith is not only about telling what you say you believe. There is a showing, a demonstration that is meant to go with the telling. We've talked about this before in days gone by, but let's bring it back to today. And let's consider the importance of showing and telling our faith. We talked a lot about telling our faith, telling our faith stories last week. And that's a good thing. And I pray that some of you stepped into those moments and you shared your story. And I pray you share it again this week. But let's consider that there's a show part that goes with the tell part. Show and tell. I shared this analogy with you before. Man, growing up, if you're a kid, show, show and tell, that's one of the best school days ever. It's like, yes, I am bringing my thing, whatever my thing is. I've showed you my bowl collection before that I've taken to show and tell. Allison goes, man, are you ever going to get rid of anything? I'm like, nope. There may be a show and tell day, and I need to bring my bowl collection. Man, show and tell day. If you're a kid, you've probably already done a lot of telling at recess or wherever about that thing you got that you love so much, and your friends, you've told them about it. But man, on show and tell day, they not only get to hear about it again, but they're going to get to see it. There's a, there's a combination of the show and tell. And James says in this part of, uh, of the letter that faith isn't meant to just be a tell kind of a faith. It's meant to be a show and tell kind of a faith. James is saying here, if all we're doing, if all you're doing, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if all you're doing is just telling me about the Lord, our God, is one, well, yes, you're telling the truth. You're making a truth statement, a truth claim. But then he digs in a little deeper. Here's where he starts stepping on our toes, Nelva. Hope you got steel-toed boots on. No open-toed shoes when you're around James. Here's where he steps on our toes a little bit. He's saying, if all you're doing is telling me that the Lord, our God, is one. Yeah, you're telling me the truth. But if there's nothing coming out of your life that's showing me anything, then your faith is really just an echo chamber of what somebody else has already said. But it doesn't really have any bearing on your life. I can't look at your life and see any difference in what you're living than the rest of the culture is. You're just saying something different, but you're not living anything 
differently. And James goes on to say here, I mean, he starts getting really into our grill here. In verse 19, he's saying, man, I'm glad you believe that the Lord our God is one. That's good. But then he says, even the demons believe that and they shudder. Well, well, why is it that they're shuddering? They're shuddering because although they believe in the one true God whose name is Jesus, they recognize that's the one true God. They also realize they do not have a saving faith in Jesus. They can say the truth and it not have impacted their eternity. The demons, they hate Jesus but they respect Jesus and his power. And they already know their faith. They know their fate. And what James is asking in his letter is, how is your belief any different than what the demons believe if all you're doing is telling, but there's nothing to show for it? There's nothing that we can point to to go, that, that's evidence of a, of a faith that's following Jesus, that's obeying his word with everything that's in that person's life. James saying, if all your faith consists of is telling me what you believe, you're no different than the demons who say they believe in God too. And James goes on to talk about how our faith without works is dead. It's a dead faith. Did you notice it? He says it two different times here in this passage we are looking at. Look in, in verse 17 and then verse 20. He says it two times. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Say that word with me. It is dead. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? It's useless. James here, he's just reiterating how it's not just a tell-only faith, a believe-only faith. You're meant to show and tell your faith. Why? Because faith without works is dead. Because faith without works, he says, it is useless. In other words, just telling somebody else what you believe without any life action to back it up, it's an adventure in missing the point. James is saying here that a faith that only tells and it doesn't have anything to show for it, it doesn't even have the power to save you. Wow. What, where does it say that in, in verse 14? Don't skip verse 14. Look again what he says. What good is it, brothers, sisters, if someone says he has faith but he does not have works, can that faith save him can that faith save her can a faith that only tells but doesn't have any evidence in life that you've actually put your faith hope and trust in Jesus can that telling justify us before a holy God no way that's what James is saying in verse 18. Look what he says in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. See, James, 
James is assuming the necessity of one's faith. He, he claims to, to have faith in verse 18, but the faith that he has, that James is talking about here, it's a real faith. It's an authentic faith. It's not just a parroting faith of what he heard at home, but never really stepped into those shoes and started walking around in it and making it his own. Living that faith, owning that faith, accompanying him in every decision, in every thought, in every interaction, in every word spoken through his life. Faith and works must accompany one another is what James is saying. And the, the, the person, that person is going to is going to have something to show for it. That's a great question to think about. And what I say I believe, particularly at this time of year, do I have anything to really show for it? I mean, we sing the songs, we enjoy the season, as we should. There's great hope coming for a new year. But when that calendar turns... Are you really a new you? <laughs> or is it just another day? Those who are in Christ are a new creation. It's not just about what you say you believe. It's about that belief manifesting itself. Becoming the person God always desired you to be. Hmm. That person's going to have something to show for it. Like the innkeeper did. He had something to show for it, did he not? He, it, he brought in towels. <laughs> he brought in help, water to help comfort the, the holy couple in the barn that night that Jesus was born. At least that's what our little story depicted. And if that indeed did happen, then the innkeeper is demonstrating what James is writing about in verse 14 and 17. And then James says in, in verse 22 that our, our, our works alongside of what we say we believe, man, those, those things working together, that's powerful. That completes a person's faith. Look again in verse 22. James says, you see that faith was active along with his works. And faith, don't miss this, faith was completed by his works. What's he talking about here? Who's he talking about here? He's talking about a famous story that all Jews would know well. It's the story of the faith of Abraham, also known as Father Abraham, a patriarch, a father in the Jewish faith. Did you notice that? It's in verses 21, 22, and 23. Look, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by what? By works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. If you're wondering, where is that story in the Old Testament? I'm not really that familiar with the Bible. I'm all new to this here. 
That story is referenced back in the first book of the Bible known as Genesis in chapters 15 and chapter 22. And then as we keep reading here in what James is writing, he makes a mention to another Old Testament character. Men and women have equal place here, okay? They're both in the story. And he moves from talking about Abraham to a woman named Rahab. Who, like Abraham, if you go back and read the very first chapter in Matthew, it's known as the the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, both of those individuals are listed in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Jesus. Abraham's mentioned and Rahab is mentioned, both in Jesus's family tree. In fact, Rahab is one of five women that Matthew specifically mentions in Jesus' family tree from the introduction of Matthew's gospel in chapter 1. And one interesting detail about Rahab was her line of work before she started moving her life in a new direction because of her faith and her belief in God. The scripture says Rahab was a prostitute, and when she came to faith, What she said that she believed was put into action. And her actions then would allow for the Israelites, the spies, not to be captured. Going, man, I don't don't remember all of that story. If I wanted to read that, where where would I find that story? About these Israelite spies not being captured and then eventually being able to take over a city known as Jericho that would lead on towards the promised land. God's got one story. It's just, it's this thread all the way through of how God is providing for his people. And he puts people in the people of God's path at just the right time and just the right way to say things that are going to be powerful and move the story forward. If you wanted to read that story of Rahab, it's back in Joshua chapter 2 in the Old Testament. And so James, as he's writing, he's referencing these people and these stories and their faith that gets put into action that they would have known, they would have connected with. And James, he references a woman named Rahab, once an immoral outcast whose faith he's describing in verses 24 to 26. Look what he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James, he's just saying, friends, it's vital. It is vital to understand that the main point of this argument, it's expressed three different times here, In this passage that we're looking at, in verse 17, in verse 20, in verse 26, he's saying it's not, it's not that works must be added to our faith. What he's saying is that genuine faith, authentic faith, Real new birth kind of faith is going to be accompanied with works. It's not something that Amazon delivers later on and leaves it at your front door. 
when you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus and you encounter the living God, he births new life in you. And that new life is meant to be told, but it also can't help but be shown. And that's the very nature of faith. It's meant to be a show and tell kind of faith. Again, think back to the little video we saw. This is what was described by the innkeeper's son about his dad as he's reflecting on the night when Christ was born, and at least in the portrayal of the video. You see, the reason that James is taking such a stance in his letter, describing what true faith is, is because there were false teachers in the day who were setting forth and spewing forth an incorrect view of what faith is. And some were saying, it doesn't matter what you do, it just matters what you believe. And in a word, what James is saying throughout his whole letter is wrong. Wrong, that's wrong. That's wrong what you're hearing. That's wrong. What James, the brother of Jesus, is emphasizing in this part of his letter and that the Word of God teaches all throughout is this. What you do reveals who you are. Would you take an out loud note with me and just say this out loud so we all can hear it in our own hearts and minds? Say this with me. What you do reveals who you are. In other words, if you say you believe this and you live like that, you're living a different gospel than what's articulated in the Bible. If you're living something totally contradictory to what you say you believe, if your lips and your life don't match up, you need to take a step back and begin to evaluate the authenticity of your faith. And is Christmas not the best time to do that? Well, maybe Easter. Christmas and Easter, wonderful times to bring us back to the authenticity of our faith. Because who you are is revealed in what you do and what you do reveals who you are. It's been said that when someone shows you who they are, listen to them. I've heard my wife say that a million times. When someone shows you who they are, listen to them. It means people are going to tell you who they really are by what they do in their life. Watch people. Just watch people. Listen and watch. Listen to what they say, watch what they say, and see how they live. Do those things match up, or are those things like magnets and polar opposites? See, if what, if what comes out of their lips is different than what comes out of their lives, then they're telling you who they truly are by their actions rather than by their words. And I've been in so many conversations just throughout being a pastor for years and years, 
And many, many times I've heard, yeah, but I prayed a prayer and I asked Jesus to be my Lord when I was a child. That was the story I shared last week with you. That's my story, right? Yeah. Second grade, watching my friend go down the aisle. God uses that. I start following. I start taking some next steps. I become a follower of Jesus. I'm baptized and move forward in my life. Man, if that's your story, that you became a follower of Jesus when you were a child, you prayed a prayer, you know what I would say to you? That's awesome. Seriously, that's a great start to the story. It's a wonderful thing. But if you tell me that, and then we just kind of look at the landscape of your life, and there's just no evidence of any faith anywhere at all. There's no fruit of faith coming out of your life. In other words, if there's nothing beyond the words you're telling me that you're a follower of Jesus, and I, I, I can't see with you, or you can't point to anything that's showing that you actually are what you're telling me, that's a great time to hit the pause button and just take a step back and evaluate the authenticity of your faith. I'm not preying on your emotions or trying to get you to, oh my goodness, am I, am I I'm just saying this is a really important thing here. <laughs> Don't fool yourself. That's what James is saying. Don't fool yourself. See, the reason that that should cause us to pause for a moment and evaluate, don't just blow through Christmas and sing all your favorite songs and open presents and hope for a better new year. Pause this morning. Evaluate your faith. And remember the words that Jesus said. Jesus said some really important words in the Sermon on the Mount about what we're talking about here. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, not everyone who says, tells to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who what? Does, shows, shows. The will of my Father who is in heaven. In fact, all throughout James's letter, we hear echoes of Jesus' teaching from his Sermon on the Mount. You know why? It's probably because James heard those truths being echoed by Big Brother Jesus. And not just echoed, but demonstrated. He saw it. He heard it as they're growing up in the, in the home together. He sees it day by day all throughout his life. Th these truths, I believe, were not just a one-time teaching in a sermon. They're a way of life for Jesus. And James probably is reflecting on what he heard and saw coming out of the life of his big brother Jesus. And Jesus, he, he, spoke, about, he spoke about what people who have authentic faith 
who are, who are true followers, if you're trying to discern, am I a true follower? Jesus talked about what we can see coming out of people's lives who really are as they're doing some things in their daily life. And it goes well beyond a prayer that was prayed sometime way back when to believe. And it begins to take root and move forward in a person's life, demonstrating that faith in action. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus is saying what that kind of life and faith looks like. He says in John 8, 31 and 32, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth will set you free from what? It'll set you free from the lies of the enemy. They say all you got to do is just say the magic prayer, and you're in. It doesn't really matter if life transformation happens. Just say a Harry Potter prayer, <laughs> and a cloak of invisibility wraps around you, and whew, your sin's all gone. Oh, he's saying, if you're truly my disciple, you're hanging out in my word. You're living life based on what I've said. If you keep reading in John 8, Jesus tells the Jewish people that their faith must be about something more than who their ancestor was. It's not just because you grew up in a Christian home that that insurance policy just takes care of you too. Fire insurance only goes so far. <laughs> That's why he's talking about Abraham here. Look, It goes beyond saying what you believe. It's got to be authenticated by your life. It's a showing and telling of your faith. And Jesus goes on in John's gospel and he talks about how important it is that the true followers, the ones who have authentic faith, they're going to be the ones who are actually living this stuff out. In John chapter 14, verses 21 through 24, Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is, she it is who loves me, and he or she who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. That's pretty pretty plain <laughs> as you're taking inventory are you being obedient to what God's word says are you bowing your life to the word of God or bending the word of God around your life to justify you by taking things out of context so you can keep doing what you want to do Merry Christmas <laughs> Let's talk about it now rather than on that day. Jesus goes on to say one more verse to look at in John chapter 15, verse 16. He said, hey, you didn't choose me. 
I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus right here, he's talking about how He's talking about how true faith, it's not about lip service, it's about life action. It's not just about praying a prayer, it's about living a life of prayer that's demonstrated by bringing hope and bringing joy and bringing life and bringing peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. Are you bringing in peace in other people's lives? Showing and telling your faith. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's what James is talking about. It's what the innkeeper's son was talking about. Referencing through what he remembered. Dear old dad. And how his faith and his actions were matching up. When the Savior was born. We won't ever really know. This side of heaven. If there was an innkeeper with an innkeeper's son. Who really did play a role in the birth of Jesus that night. Those possibilities, please hear me, are simply conjecture, being curiously imaginative about what might have happened that's not specifically referenced in the Bible. But what we do know is this. Jesus came as the Savior to rescue people from their sin, people who were separated from God, people who were living in darkness. He brought them light and life and restoration. And our faith in Jesus for salvation, friends, it must be authenticated in word and in deed according to what's written in the pages of Scripture. And as we said last week, we say it again this week, may we share our stories. May we share our stories of how Jesus saved us and may we live lives that authenticate those stories and that demonstrate the goodness of God and how we really do follow the one that was born in a manger. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to distribute this recording, but please do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website at arapahoeroad.org. Arapahoe Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas, with Sunday morning worship service at 1045 a.m. We hope you'll join us this week. <music>